See you, Najad. Welcome to Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Thank you so much for coming on. I uh, love being on with you, man. Uh, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time, and I, I love what you're doing. It's similar to you know what I'm trying to build as well. So we are um, well, we're meeting them in the middle here, and I I'm happy to be on your show. Yeah, and and thank you again for having me on your show. That was a really really good uh, conversation. And for those of you that don't know who Sia is, um, please check out his podcast, Sia Najad Sports. And um, definitely check out my episode with him. I, I really had a great time and we dove really, really deep on some cool stuff and uh, looking forward to doing it again, but from the opposite side of the table. So um, Sia, uh, you're an attorney, you're a sports broadcaster, you're a sports betting pro. And uh, we met through our mutual friend, David Melter, which was really cool. And we did not get a chance to connect in person when we were both in Vegas, but uh, will happen next time but tell everybody a little bit about yourself your background and and uh what you're up to yeah it's a different background i mean you know it's one of those things where i went to law school i practiced law for 13 years and you would think you know once somebody goes to law school you know they're probably tied into to practicing law for the rest of their life and for good reason i mean it pays well and there's certain benefits to being an attorney but the long and short of it is i wasn't really happy being an attorney kevin and after 13 years kind of a random instance in Fort Lauderdale, uh, a buddy of mine uh, from, a, from a poker game I used to play in uh, was a manager in a pharmaceutical sales company. He stopped me and he said, hey, you know, I know you're disenchanted with practicing law. Would you ever consider getting, you know, being a, a sales person in this great company that I work for? And I ended up taking that uh, opportunity when it became available. So I did that for five years and I've been doing media for three to four years now, full, kind, of, kind of full-time, kind of part-time. But Kevin, I decided to fully dive in uh, about a year ago to, to media, to all of the stuff I'm doing here. So I dropped the pharma stuff. I don't practice law anymore, as you might have gleaned from me jumping from law to pharma. And so here I am doing uh, media, sports media, and stuff outside of sports media full time. Excellent. That's pretty cool. Now, I am a big fan and a big proponent of sales. Um, I think that the, the skills that you learn in a sales job, specifically business to business, like you're in the pharmaceutical role, so you're going not only B2B, but you're going from doctor's office to doctor's office, and uh, you're, you're really having to fight through the gatekeeper, which is the office assistant. How much uh, did you learn in your sales career that helped you in maybe communication and broadcasting and the podcast? Yeah, so it's interesting because the communication and the broadcast and the sales and pharma and the attorney given that I was a trial litigator and I was talking to juries quite a bit, it's mm. all really tied in. I mean, it's a very similar skill set. And I'll tell you from a pharma end, I don't know that I learned this then, but I certainly learned it real quick if I didn't know it already. You need to be the guy that's respectful, not just to the doctor, the guy that's nice, not just to the doctor, but every, every level to get, to get that doctor's attention, you know, whether it's the receptionist or, or the physician assistant, the doctor, the, the, whatever it is, you know, one thing I learned about sales, at least when I did it, was it was very much relationship driven. And the only way to capture those relationships is just to be a good, positive person that was respectful to every single person, whether it's a patient or somebody who works there that you come across. So I think that's something I really honed in with when it comes to sales. And honestly, I like to practice this in my everyday life, Kevin, just the idea of being positive, being nice to every single person. And, you know, those opportunities start to 
I wouldn't say manifest, but they start to reveal themselves, whether it's in your sales role or otherwise. I had built these relationships and I was crushing it when it came to sales. I was the one who was winning the trips on consecutive years. And it's just one of those things where it wasn't necessarily because I had the best product, although I still think I kind of do. It was because I had a good product and I was building relationships along the way. That's so key, not just with the doctor who's actually writing the script, but everybody involved. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that you just hit something that will, if somebody will replay this and listen to what Sia just said, your quality of relationships will determine the quality of your life. That's just how it is. Now, when, when you say that you really focused on being a good person and, uh, you know, focusing on the relationships, what was the biggest impact? Do you have a specific story where maybe uh, you were nice to somebody just to be nice and it ended up working in your favor? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it actually starts with how I got the pharma job. I was stopped on the street by uh, a guy named Jonathan who ended up being my manager. And he didn't know me very well. Like I said, he knew me from a poker game. And but at that poker game, it, it was it was something where over the years he noticed I was just a nice, very positive guy, very respectful, articulate, wh whatever qualities you might want to find in a salesperson. He stopped me on the street on Las Olas Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale randomly on a Friday afternoon and struck up a conversation with me. The only reason I bring that up is because if I wasn't that positive person that made a great impression on him, whether it was in or outside of the poker table, he would have never stopped me and even inquired about whether I'd want to leave uh, practicing law and, and, and doing a pharma job where he's going to be my boss. So that alone spoke volumes. And honestly, I transitioned that to a lot of the doctors. I don't practice, I don't do the pharma thing anymore. And yet I still text some of these guys. Like it's not, it's not fake and they know it. I'm not just talking to them to just, you know, chummy up to them and, and, and try to create a relationship that doesn't exist. I was really asking them about real life things outside of the medical stuff that I genuinely cared about. And because they picked up on that, that's, that's when all the sort of the windfall came my way. It's like, okay, this guy really cares about what, what I'm doing, what my everyday is. He's not just, he's not just interested in his bottom line exclusively. Yeah, absolutely. And as David Meltzer says, be more interested than interesting, right? Yeah. And I, I think that that really plays a big part in your relationship with people. Look, no matter who you are in the world, you like people that get you to talk about yourself. Everybody, it's human nature for us to want to talk about themselves. We all know the friend and the person that is always talking about themselves, will cut you off to talk about themselves. And is is really always asking for uh, favors and and things like that. You know, Jeff Fenster released his book, and it's all about the relationship capital game, right? And your relationships are a currency. And in Jeff's book, Jeff talks about constantly making deposits, like you have a bank account. So if I'm just meeting Sia and I ask him for something, and I don't know him, and I have no you know, uh, uh, social credit, we could say with him, or I have no real relationship capital, it's going to be really hard for me to take deposits and ask him for things. But if I'm constantly giving to him, I'm constantly feeding him guests to his podcast and, and genuinely doing this, not bullshit so I can get something, but just investing in being a good person and, and good relationships. And when you need it, you don't feel like a dick for asking for a favor. Mm -hmm. right? So right. do you, do you uh, do you have any stories where maybe you've you've invested in uh, a relationship and it paid off really well, you know, unknowings to you? 
Yeah, I mean, if if we want to go the farmer route, that 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 really is. There's a really interesting guy, and I don't. I'll, I, I'm like name dropping like random people. His name is Alan, and he's a physician assistant at a big office. He is the most quirky, uh, kind of uh, cantankerous. You know, can kind of get angry, um, a sarcastic guy I've ever come across. And and in his case, I just thought he was super interesting. I was to your point and David Meltzer's point. I was very interested in just his whole dynamic and his personality. He and and, and he saw that. And I think a lot of people were either afraid of him or just didn't really want to give him the time because of, of his personality. And I just thought he was super interesting. And so I would strike up, I would stay like longer than, than all the other reps. And I would just strike up conversations with him and kind of let him feed. Sometimes it was negative and I'd try to turn it into a positive, you know, those types of things. He became my number one writer for three years in a row. Wow. And, and that, that's the type of thing that, that, that won me those trips where I got to go to, to tropical places and, and things of that nature. I mean, in the farmer world, anybody who's in it, they kind of know, you got to have like three or four like whale writers. In other words, three or four guys that are just going to write your product pretty much exclusively. And if you can get those guys at like the bigger offices uh, who see, you know, more patients, then you're probably going to be good to go in terms of uh, monetary compensation and awards and stuff like that. So that's a really good example. But th the key is, Kevin, I was actually interested in it. And so if you're actually, quote, interested in, in some of those things, like, listen, I, I don't care how his weekend was, you know, like a lot of people will come into to that situation and they'll just ask the cliche stuff like, oh, how was your weekend? What did you do? Oh, here's what I did. I was going a level deeper because I because I'm actually when you're genuinely interested, you're going to ask insightful questions. When you're not interested, you're going to the cliche. Oh, uh, how was your day today? Uh, yeah. Were any of your patients late? How was your weekend? Like that stuff is just in one ear out the other. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with one of my companies that I own, we have a pretty big sales team. And one common thread that we're always saying, the, the most common thing that we're bringing up is don't be robotic and just make friends with them. Genuinely, don't bullshit them. Don't don't fluff them around by saying, oh, like you said, how was your weekend? Oh, how's the weather where you are? No, they don't. Mm -hmm. They don't care. Ask them about themselves. Get to know them. Find common ground and genuinely build a relationship. And once that rapport is built, it's a lot easier to sell a product or at least to get them to be open to your product. Because, well, if you have a friend, then you're going to have one perspective. But when you have somebody who's trying to actively sell you something and you know that they're full of shit, then it's not as, uh, it's not a good feeling, you know? So. And Kevin, I think that's the key. When you can do sales and it doesn't feel like the person is getting sold to, you have won the sale. I think that's exactly what it is, especially in my previous world in pharma. When I can get them to talk about my product without feeling like I'm selling to them, and that just might be you know, opening with something non-product related, or it might be just asking them to give their opinion on something, and then we just develop the conversation there. As soon as they think they're getting sold to, then they go to this paradigm of, oh, well, this is a rep, he's coming in, and he's 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 going to tell me about this, and then he's going to show me something on his iPad about his product and how good it is. You got to get out of that. And that's what, unfortunately, in pharma, that's what people are taught. Because the, the problem is the people who are running the pharma companies, they don't believe that, they're, that all their reps can do the insightful thing. And, and all the reps can't. And so what they have to do is they have to give them this sort of paradigm, hey, this is how you sell to the person. But if you have a really good rep, you don't need to do that. You don't need to go by the paradigm because they will know how to kind of get in on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse because from a sales management perspective, when uh, like, for instance, when I worked at this credit card processing company, I was really, really, really good at building relationships because I've been doing it my whole life. 
So selling to me was easy because I go in, I genuinely find a connection with them. And then I'd be like, by the way, here's our product, which also was awesome, which made it easier. But, you know, my, my sales manager was like, you know, at the time, Hey, this is incredible. I want you to train a bunch of guys, but you can't train them how you're doing it because not everybody has those skills. So mm. teach them how to follow the script, teach them how to go in there and say this because it predictably works. But I really wish, and, and one thing that we try to instill in our team is, you know, get out there and build relationships because again, can't stress this enough. Your relationships will determine the quality of your life. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. It's the found, it's the foundational element to really anything. If you actually want something, I mean, there, there's a lot of things you can do, including Kevin, what you were referring to in terms of providing value. You got to figure that part out. But if you don't have an underlying relationship, uh, you're just not going to get that far. Right. Absolutely. So now let's talk a little bit about your broadcasting, uh, you know, what you do in broadcasting. So you're with CBS Sports. That's right. CBS Sports. Sportsline, uh, Win Daily Sports, a few different outfits, but it's mostly CBS Sports stuff that I do. Um, and I'm doing sort of betting content, daily fantasy content, like DraftKings, things of that nature, but then also just general commentary. I cover really all sports. I mean, I specialize in NFL and PGA, but I, I, I cover it all. And then, of course, I do the C and Ajad Sports thing, which is kind of a misnomer because it's not really about sports. It's about motivating and inspiring. And Kevin, that's why I had you on the show, creating healthy habits. So I've been doing that. And, uh, and I love it. And again, the, the skills are transferable in terms of, you know, what I did previously with uh, being an attorney and sales. Yeah. Now, how much of your legal experience has helped you? I mean, you're, you're an attorney. So whether you're actively practicing, which you're not currently, but if you're whether you're actively practicing or not, it's got to feel so good and confident, kind of like carrying a gun, right? Like yeah. anybody that conceals carries a, a pistol on them feels a little bit more confident when they leave the house. And I'm sure any time you're doing anything, you must feel a lot more legally protected and just confident um, having that in your toolbox. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't think of it much. And maybe it's just because I left the profession for the most part. I'm still licensed in Florida and Virginia, the two states I practiced in. But I don't think about it much. But I'll tell you what, when it comes up, and it'll come up even in, in the media stuff, because legal things happen in media all the time, big or small. And then I can kind of be the guy that people go to and ask the opinion of. So that's very empowering. Outside of that, you know, I, I don't think about it that much. And I think it's because I just sort of left it behind. But it, you're, you're right. And it's a great conversation starter, by the way. When I walked into, let's go back to pharma, when I walked into medical offices and I got to open with, yeah, I, I was an attorney practicing for 13 years. Now I'm doing this. Whether they look down on that or not, and most of them didn't, but it was such a good conversation starter and it sort of separated me from, from everybody else. But in the media space, yeah, it, it, it's, it's empowering because people look at you a, a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, when you're walking into a doctor's office, doctors have a tremendous amount of ego and the same thing in any profession that's very, very hard to get to and they've earned it. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So when you walk in and you say, oh, by the way, I'm kind of on this similar level as you definitely, you know, most of these other sales reps, a lot of them haven't even gone to college. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's incredible. Now, when you decided, one thing that I really want to touch on is when you decided to leave your career in law, and I mean, it's not like you did it for three years and realized you didn't want to do it. You did it for, did you say, how long did you say? I practiced for 13 years, three in Virginia and 10 in South Florida. Oh my God. So, I mean, yeah. And, and then also you have to add how much time you went to school for it, right? So right. this is almost 20 years of your life. 
It is 20 years of my life. Yeah, yeah. like that's, that's, I mean, and, and how old are you, Sia? 46. Okay, so, wow, dude, you look great for 46. Thank I did you. not know Appreciate that. It. That's crazy. I could have gone with the, I was a prodigy thing and I graduated from law school at like 12. Yeah, uh, But yeah. I didn't want to try to sell that. That's hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, so when you leave such an, such a critical piece of your life behind and so what year how old were you when you decided to leave law so that would have been uh seven around seven years ago six to seven years ago so i would have been right around 40 years old yeah and so for, I mean, for the record just to add a layer to that the the day that i had my first interview for because i had to go through the interview process even though i sort of had my manager's blessing of course um yeah. my first interview was a week after my first kid was born. So talk about taking a leap. Now I've got a family to think about too. So it was, it was, and I know this is what you're getting to, Kevin. Uh, so, so sorry for hijacking your question. No, but no, please do. It wasn't a hard decision for me at all. It wasn't hard at all. And so you're right, 13 years, 20 years invested in school and law. Those are hard things to explain to your dad, for example, who helped you with school, by the way, or helped me with school, I should say. But outside of that, I, I had already surrounded myself with people that weren't going to say that's crazy because they knew I wasn't happy practicing law, my wife included, and, and some of my close friends. Of course, there's going to be the naysayers and the people that are, you know, and to their credit, they're going to be like, hey, you know, I, I don't know that this is the smartest move. But the people I had surrounded myself with, they knew that I, I had taken leaps like this before and that my leap was going to be calculated. It's not like I was going to relinquish my law license. So I, I had sort of a safety net, if you want to call it that, but I was not happy practicing law. So it wasn't about me not being happy in that moment or for the, for the three years or 10 years prior. It was about me not being happy next year and mm -hmm. five years from now and 10 years from now and being that sort of older crotchety attorney that shows up for the hearing at 8.45 a.m. and just kind of hates his life. Now, that's not every attorney, but it would have been me. So yeah. the transition was, was calculated, uh, but it wasn't hard at all because I wanted to find a happier place, period. I, I wish that most people would see that kind of perspective, Sia, because a lot of people get comfortable in an uncomfortable scenario, right? So they want this life. They have this dream life that they want to live that is completely possible and way, way more attainable than they thought. But one thing that you had mentioned is when you took this leap, it was calculated. And like you said, you're not relinquishing, you're not getting rid of your law license, right? You're not, you, you can always go back to where you are, right? Mm -hmm. If you try to take a step up to the next level and you fall back down, you fall back down to where you were. But if, they, but if you take the next level and you make it and you continue to do that, well, like when I look back on my life, if I didn't take the risk to move out to California and start a business... I would be so miserable. I'd be financially paid. I, I would be, I would have the house and the white picket fence and the dog and, you know, all of that, but I would be so miserable. And, and the worst thing is not only would I be in that same position and a few years older, but I would also be thinking all the time of like, man, what if I had done this? What if mm. I had moved on? So what would you tell yourself if you could speak to yourself before and, and let's just say that, you know, the life track that you went on, but let's say that there was a SIA that didn't decide to go on that life track. What would you say to him to convince him to get back on the right track and go in the direction that you went and taking that uncomfortable leap into a new career? I would first ask the question to that person. I'd say, are you happy? 
And, and I, I would make sure they understand what I'm asking because I'm not asking, are you satisfied? I'm not asking, are you happy with where you are because of the social norms that have been cast upon you or, or what your parents believe happiness is or whoever the people that surround you, are you actually happy? And happy is a loaded, it's a loaded word, right? Because it, it has so much nuance, but I think you know when you're unhappy. And so if you're unhappy, if you're unsatisfied, and if you're uncomfortable waking up every morning to this job that you hate for whatever reason, I, by the way, I liked the people I worked with. I just didn't like the job. Yeah. So that, that's, sort of, that's sort of what I always go back to. It's very cliche, but at the same time, if you know that you're not happy, and if you think that there's an outlet for you to pursue that's going to make you happy or is going to make you whole in any way, you have to pursue it. And for the record, that might mean doing what I did, which was when I was doing pharma and media, having two jobs, having pharma during the day and doing the media thing and really pushing it at night, trying to cut corners. If, if you have to do media during the day, trying to figure out how you can do both but there's more time in the day than you think. So my, my comment to that person, the, the CEO who didn't make the leap would be, are you sure you don't have enough time to pursue the thing you're actually passionate about? And are you happy? That's incredible. And, and you hit it on the head with saying that people don't have enough time or people saying they don't have enough time because that is such bullshit, especially so you're a father, you've got the family life. Uh, imagine, uh, how much more time you would have without a kid. And then now imagine all these 21 year old kids who don't do shit. Literally, they don't, they don't have a job. They, or if they do, it's a part-time job that they're like, they really have no, like they really only have time, but they say things like, I don't have enough time. They come up with these limiting beliefs and excuses to not get stuff done. And I'm really happy that you mentioned, like you had to juggle, juggle two separate careers and they're not just you know, like part, not, it's not like having two part-time jobs. You have two full-time, very serious careers that have a lot of investment in them uh, personally. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's not easy to do, but again, it, I, I always bring this up. Anything that's going to be worth it is going to take a lot of work and it's not going to be easy, right? Otherwise everybody would just have their dream life. So it, it, it is hard work. But what I think is harder is not doing the work and staying in an uncomfortable spot. So most people, their whole lives don't make that decision. They don't make the leap like you made, like we both have made into investing in their dreams and their, their ideal life and the things that they want. Most people sit in this uncomfortable spot and they just, because they know what they get, you know, they know what they get. Yeah. And I, and I think from a practical standpoint, some, some people might be listening to this and they might say, well, man, that's great that it worked for them, but, but I just can't envision um, transitioning out of what I'm doing right now because it puts food on the table and this dream I have. And again, I, I have to boldface this. You have more time than you think. So just, just to lay out and level set some perspective here, and I'm not patting myself on the back because I'm not the hardest worker in the world. I like to think I am, but there's people that work harder than me. There's people that are more time efficient than me. David Meltzer comes to mind. Kevin, yeah. you come to mind as well. But just to give you some perspective, it's not just that I was doing media at night and trying to prep during the day for my media at night while I was doing the pharma sales job, and by the way, winning awards all the while, but I also had two kids, two young kids uh, at the time. We're talking like two and four, one and three, you know, as they were growing up, two dogs. I live in a really nice condo in downtown Fort Lauderdale. But by the way, it's only 1200 square feet. There ain't a lot of room in here. OK, and I don't have a nanny. 
Uh, we, we have like a nanny that might come like once a week if, if absolutely needed. No family around to help us with the kids. It's all on my wife and I. And for the record, not only is she an amazing wife and an amazing mom, she is currently pursuing a bodybuilding career in the, in the bikini sort of division and has won two overalls just in the last month. I only say all of that because we don't have time. We don't have help. But we have managed to do these things that I know people listening, you can actually do. And you don't have to give up one thing to take on the other. Do them both. And when the scales finally tip, where you feel confident and comfortable making the leap, well, then after a certain period of time, now you can make the leap. Man, you have said it the best. Um, all right. So so in terms of thinking bigger, right, that's obviously the the title of the show. And the reason why is most people, and we're running on the theme here, most people don't think big enough to actually get their, actually, you know what? People do think bigger, right? They, they think of these things all day. They think of their ideal life all the time, but they don't think they can do it. So they don't do it. And if you don't believe you can do it, if you don't have the confidence, if you don't have the delusional, I will make this happen, it's not going to happen. So what does thinking bigger mean to you and how has it played a role in your journey? It means doing all the steps it takes because we can all have goals and we can all be really goal oriented. But what happens, and this happened in, in my life previously, where I'd have this great idea and I'd get really super excited about it. And then I would take the first step towards that idea. Then I'd realize, oh, shoot, I'm not really good at that second step or oh man, that third step, it's going to be really hard. And I just don't think I'm equipped to do it for whatever reason. And so those reasons become excuses. And then it just you just stop doing it. So if you're going to think big, that's great. And everybody, to your point, Kevin, I think everybody at a certain time in their life or constantly thinks big. You have to know what steps you need to take and you have to actually take them. And sometimes you'll fail. And that's part of, you know, it's cliche, but that's part of the pathway to success is obviously failing. That is a step towards success, that failure. So I just think you have to push yourself. And part of that, Kevin, is putting the right people around you. And it's easy for me to say, but I'm not talking about like a cast of characters that are going to push you forward. The, your close friends, if, if your close friends are the ones that belittle your dreams, get rid of them or at least shove them off to the side for a while. If, if your wife or your husband is, is somebody that sort of is like no and super negative all the time, I'm not saying get a divorce, but figure out a way to convince them that you can pursue all of these things. Because part of the reason we don't think bigger or we don't actually accomplish what we're thinking is because as we're maybe failing or as we're kind of treading water, we have people that are supporting the notion that we should walk away from it. And, yes. and, I, and I just think you need oh, to have people around you that are going to say, no, 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 you're, you're good enough, like keep going, or I'm going to help you figure this out, or you know, just go here and you can have somebody help you and, and whatever the case may be. You can't stop. You got to think big, but you can't stop ever. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, your life is determined, like I said, by the quality of your relationships, but also the relationships themselves, meaning the people that you surround yourself with. You know, uh, we all know when as guys or, or girls, I'm sure, too, but when when one of our friends from our group of circle, right, from our from our group, especially when you're younger, when they start dating a new girl, all of a sudden they change. They turn into a different person and mm -hmm. that's OK. Right. But it's uncomfortable for the guys because their friend just turned into this totally unrecognizable person because of who they're spending a majority of their time with. So. If you're trying to do bigger things, and like Sia said, if your friends are holding you back or if they're belittling you wanting to go out and share your dreams, 
This is them not wanting you to go out and leave them. They don't want to be left behind, right? There's a story of a, a fisherman who's uh, crabbing, right? He's, he's getting crabs and he's got this bucket full of crabs. And I might be butchering the story, but the, the point is what matters. He's got this bucket of crabs and one of the crabs is trying to crawl out of the bucket. And this guy walks by the, this, this gentleman and he says, oh, hey, uh, one of your crabs is trying to get out of the bucket. And the guy goes, no, nah, no, nah, just, just watch, just watch, it'll be okay. So he sits there and he watches. And as this crab is trying to crawl out of the bucket, all the other crabs are pulling it back in to this bucket. And this is very, uh, this is a very clear and good example of what it's like to try and go do bigger things because your friends, if they're truly not, if they're truly your friends, they will support you and they will understand that you're going off on, on your own path. And for me, luckily, most of my friends have been totally supportive, but for the ones that weren't, for the ones that got jealous and would say, oh, how are you doing with your little business? How are you doing? Little, with little is such a key word there. They always do it like that. Yeah. Because yeah, they don't podcast. Right. How's that little thing you're doing? You know, oh, is that, oh, you know, they're wanting you to fail. And it's not that they don't want you to do things. They actually, I think, genuinely do. They don't want you to go do better than them because they're afraid that they cannot do what you're going to do, right? So if you have friends that are belittling you and that are not supportive and are jealous and just aren't rocking with you, don't fuck with them anymore. Don't be afraid yeah. Don't be afraid to cut them off. You have to cut certain people out of your life if you're going to grow. And um, it's unfortunate I, and it and it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Do you agree? And I, yeah, and I can think of some friends I, I have there. And, and frankly, it's not super uncomfortable if you just kind of like let it fade away. You know, you, you, you in the text group you're in or whatever it is, you just you're just not as, as responsive as you were before. And, you know, when they want to go out and grab a drink, you're just like, oh, man, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm busy. I'm doing this thing. And you kind of just can let it fade. I'll tell you, I think you're right on there, Kevin. And, and I, I also think a lot of people have confined themselves by social norms and subconsciously they hate the fact that maybe you, Kevin, or, or maybe me are, are doing something that's so different that maybe they could have done as well. And I, I think that's part of when you say the word jealousy, I kind of agree with it, but I think it's kind of on this like subconscious lower level where it's like, oh man, I, I wish I had the motivation to do that. I wish I, it, it inspired myself to do those things that, that he or she is doing. And I, I, I do think that's part of it. Yeah. And I do think that your childhood has a major, major and actually almost critical impact on your life going forward. Because for me, I had two very supportive parents that never tried to stifle me or stop me from doing things. And when I look at the common theme of my friends and people that I know that have these major limiting beliefs and these from my perspective, I look and it's like, you just have to do this, this, and this, and you will get that dream life that you want. It's really not that hard. But because they have all of these limiting beliefs that were planted in them through their childhood and how they were brought up, um, you know, that really is the thing that stops and prevents them from going out and reaching their dreams. So if you had somebody in your life, brother, sister, mother, father, uncle, whatever, uh, you know, whatever person in your life when you were younger that would tell you to not chase your dreams, that would tell you to be quiet, that would try to shut you down and limit you, you may have to do some extra work and really try to uncover 
and I'm no psychologist or therapist or anything, but but that is considered childhood trauma that will hold you back from your life. Mm -hmm. And until you go through, until you try to solve that problem, then you're not going to be able to break free of that. Um, have you seen that in any of your relationships with other people? Oh, I, 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 yeah, no, I absolutely think it's true. I mean, when you grow up, you're either going to be, you know, raised in a household or, or be around people that, that have limiting, like, for example, I, I know people who, their life goals were like the check the box life goals. And by the way, I don't begrudge those people if they're happy. Like, again, it all comes down to what we talked about earlier. It, it, I have to ask you the question, are you happy or are you not happy? If you're happy checking the box, like I, I had this friend who, you know, he had to get married at a certain age. He had to have a nice house at a certain age. He had, a cer had to have a certain number of kids at a certain age. That, that's not necessarily like the check the box life for me, but if it, if it is for him, and by the way, he is pretty happy right now and he's very successful, successful. He's an attorney, good for him. But that wasn't what was making me happy. So sometimes those limiting things that, that my friend was sort of undergoing, it can work out for you, that's fine. But you have to at least have the presence of mind to know that you were limited in your beliefs by the friends you were around or, or, or the parents that raised you or whoever raised you because it, we, we fall into this social norms thing. This is what you're supposed to do at a certain age. This is what you're supposed to do when you go to college. This is what you're supposed to do if you don't go to college. Like there, those things are archaic. If you really think about it, a lot of these preconceived notions that you grow up with, they're archaic and you have to challenge them. The only way you can challenge them is by being introspective and start asking yourself questions. Does any of this make sense? One other thing I want to point out, Kevin, when we talk about the support system, not everybody has that friend that's really goal-oriented that they can lean on or the relative that's really goal-oriented that can lean on. I can tell you from experience, it's podcasts like this that can be that friend for you, at least for the time being, whether it's Kevin Feely or whether it's David Meltzer or whether it's me. I have a podcast that has th this type of, of um, topics and conversation. Like you can kind of pile up some of that stuff and that can be your support system until you find those like-minded goal-oriented people. And then these podcasts can just be a supplement to that. But believe me, because I've been there if you don't have those people, go to YouTube, go, yes. go to Apple pods, go to Kevin Feely. It's out there for you. Dude, you are so right. I mean, and, and when we talk about your surroundings or everything, it's not just your surroundings in terms of who you're spending time with, which that probably has the big, biggest impact, but where is your attention flowing? What, what are you focused on? Because if you're focused on video games and the news, like, okay, my parents are in their late sixties, actually, sorry, mid seventies now, geez, they are constantly, they're retired. They, they, they're at the house all day, every day. They, they're, they're very, very chill now. But one thing that I notice is they constantly have the news on in the background. And we all know that the news, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, whatever the big Fox news guys are, it's not, they don't lead with positivity. They're not mm -mm. optimistic. They are fear mongering because that's what gets people's attention. And that's what will sell advertising, but they are constantly being fed fear all day. And when I walk in, they're like on edge all the time. They're antsy. They're there. You know, it's like, sometimes I walk in and I just turn the TV off and I'm like, can you guys just stop for a minute? You're not even listening. You're just letting it flow into your mm -hmm. subconscious mind. So Sia is completely right. If you don't have, and even if you do change where your attention is going, change the media that you're watching. They don't call it programs for a reason. It's mm -hmm. programming you. It, it really is. So, so listen to podcasts like like Sia's, listen to David Meltzer, surround yourself with mentors 
that are digital mentors because <laughs> there is no excuse not to have the knowledge and the drive and anything because it's all out there. If you don't have it now, you can learn about it through podcasts or media. And um, I, I mean, I think that's really good, you know? And by the way, you're right. When, when it comes to cable news, like it's it's like a joke at this point, Whether on both sides of the aisle, by the way, whether it's Fox News or CNN, MSNBC, I mean, yeah. in large part, like they're they're just feeding you sort of the negativity that you, that you they know is going to amp you and want like your program to continue listening. I mean, that's just sort of how the whole uh, hamster wheel works there. But you can find negativity anywhere. I mean, it, it's 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 trying to find you, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on cable news or anywhere else. So again, it's it's about being introspective. I think that's such an important word because you have to start asking yourself, are you actually kind of in the circles that it's actually circling the negativity or yeah. are you steering away from it? And, and I think if you actually have that conversation with you, yourself, you'll kind of notice what's actually going on and then you'll start to look for those positive channels, whether it be Kevin or David or, or anybody else that can kind of be a, a mentor to you, or at least in part a mentor to you. Absolutely. And one thing that you said that I want to kind of circle back on and it, so first, perspective is everything. And when your perspective, like when you're faced with a problem, um, your perspective can be, damn, this problem is going to stop me from doing this. Or, hey, this is a, you can see it like a game. Oh, I have this problem I have to solve, right? It's just two ways of navigating the same exact circumstance. But you had mentioned that earlier, you said that failure is actually not failure at all right? Failure is first off going to happen. And if you're going for anything better or bigger, then you're going to fail along the way. But your perspective on it is, is everything and how you handle failure, which I don't think failure is a real thing. I think it's a terrible word for it. I think it's just another step. But what do you have to say about that? Have you ever failed really big? Have you ever had a, a big loss that actually you just had to get around? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, of what would qualify as a big loss, but I'll tell you this, as I sort of think about that, 95% of the people, I'm making this number up, but I actually think it's pretty darn close to true. 95% of people who have a big goal and who have a step along the way that constitutes in their mind a failure, whether that's step one or step five on their way to step 10, yeah, they drop out. So the way you get ahead of those people, 95%, again, a number I made up, but I think it's pretty darn close, is you keep going. That's what sets you apart from everybody else. And that's that. That's the whole failure story. Failure, speaking of perspective, it's actually a benefit to you because you know that everybody else is failing along the way at some point too. The question is, are they dropping off or are you dropping off? And the answer is, they're probably all dropping off. So your perspective needs to be, okay, we're all in this same boat. We're all going to fail, but I'm going to be the 5% that moves forward. That's it. Yeah. My, my friend Perry Yee is a former Navy SEAL, and when he was going through BUDS, we, we had a conversation about, obviously, the Navy SEAL training, right? BUDS is a basic underwater demolition school, right? And it's supposed to be the hardest military school that you can go through, and their whole goal is to get you to give up. And I asked Perry, you know, should you run a lot? Should you swim a lot? Should you focus on not getting sleep and getting used to that? And he said, dude, just don't give up right? Anybody that I know that's gone through something like that, they just say, don't give up. And I think that that's, that's it in everything. If you can just survive and keep moving forward, you will eventually make it. And, and people always say the one thing I hate so much. So for instance, I just, I just 
bought into an auto detail company. And one thing that I'm working on with this new business partner of mine is his mindset because he's an auto detailer and he's so good at what he does. But the first thing that he said is, yeah, but my market is so diluted. There's so many other auto detailers out there. And it's like, dude, you have to have one, you know, you're the best, but two, you just have to be a little better than everybody else. You just have mm -hmm. to put more work in and you just have to stay in business. David Meltzer always says, the best thing about business and the number one thing about being in business is staying in business. So just don't give up. No matter what your goal is, if you just don't give up, your chances of hitting that goal are, are tremendously high. I also think it builds character for whatever your next goal is. If you have taught yourself the lesson of just persevering, even if that goal for whatever reason isn't accomplished, or maybe the goal changes midway, that happens all the time and it becomes a, a newer, fresher, better goal. I think just teaching yourself perseverance, it's not only good for you for the, for the next things you want to tackle, but if you have a family, if you have people around you, what an example it is to them. Let's say you have kids. Maybe they'll see it. Maybe they won't because they're too young or whatever the case may be. But when you actually tell them to pursue their dreams 5, 10, 15 years later, guess what? You're going to sell it because you did it yourself. It's not going to be empty words. I just think even if you persevere and the goal isn't you know, captured at the end of the day, it's going to help you in the long run, not just you, but maybe the people around you as well. Wow. So if somebody's listening to this and they go, I want a better life, but I'm not sure exactly one, what goals to set and two, how to even set and start to hit those goals. What would you say to that person? Because I know I was like that when I was in my late teens, early twenties, I think that I was very driven. I was ready to run through a brick wall, but I didn't know where to start. So what would you say to that person? Well, first of all, I, I'd want to know, like they have to identify what they're passionate about. And, and again, this is something that you've probably heard before, but you're going to be best at the things you're passionate about, whether that be in media or pharma or being an attorney or, or whatever the case may be. So find out what you're passionate about and then find out. And, and frankly, Kevin, th this is something that's been discussed on your podcast in the past. How are you marketing yourself? How are you offering value? A lot of people will walk into, let's say, a job interview, for example, and the context and the perspective that they have in this job interview is, how can this job serve me? Of course, they want to promote themselves, but they're really promoting themselves to capture a job. And what they really should be doing is going in with the mindset of, this is how I'm going to help this person that's interviewing me. This is how I'm going to help the company. So anytime you're jumping to a goal, a, like have some sort of game plan, maybe write the game plan down because I think that that holds a certain level of accountability. Like you're going to accomplish these things on a daily or a weekly basis. But it, it really comes down to A, holding yourself accountable and, and B, just making sure that you're tackling, you're actually tackling those goals. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one thing that uh, for those of you that have been watching the podcast for a while, you've seen our repeat guest of Dan Fulkerson. He's actually the number one downloaded episode. Um, Dan Fulkerson, when I first moved to San Diego, became a mentor of mine, very wealthy, very, very successful attorney, and just a very good person. He's been a mentor to me. And one thing that when I first moved here, when I wasn't making a bunch of money and was really trying to build my business, one thing that Dan said to me about goal setting was when I told him my goals, he actually told me that I was thinking too big. And he didn't mean don't have that as a goal. But he meant that I'm not, you know, if, if your goal is to go from being 120 pounds and, and you know, like a, like a wet paper napkin, like you're just lightweight, no muscle, and you want to go to 225 and jacked, 
Like it's, you can't get there without having a lot of different goals in between. And you probably will fail along the way because you don't see the little growths, right? So I think that when, when we're setting goals and one thing that Dan really, really drilled into my mind is if your goal is to make a hundred thousand dollars a month and you're making 5,000 a month, maybe just double your income as your first mm -hmm. goal and then double it again and, and just have these continuous goals. So the podcast is called Thinking Bigger, and I want you to think so big that it makes you terrified and uncomfortable and makes people think you're crazy. But you also have to be realistic in the little ways that you chip off the block and, and try to attain that goal. Because if you set your goals too big, your subconscious mind will not believe that it's possible, and you will set yourself up for failure. And yeah, and you might not see the results of your work because you have set those you haven't set incremental goals like smaller goals. I, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, I think that's the problem with some people not tackling their goals at the end of the day is they've made the goal like this far this far in the distance thing. And it's almost like they're dead in the water because because they're not appreciating that there's incremental gains along the way that they have to capture. Yeah. I mean, and just like making your bed in the morning, right? Making your bed in the morning. If your goal is to make an extra thousand dollars today, making your bed in the morning is a very, very tiny little piece of getting to that goal, but it sets you up on the right path. And it gives your brain a little feeling and a little hit of dopamine of, Hey, I just got that done. Right. One thing in, in video games that gets people so addicted is leveling up. When you get to another level, your brain goes, oh, I just accomplished something. And that to, to your brain makes you think you're being productive, which is why video games feel so good. Now, if you're trying to hit goals, break it down into smaller increments and just hit head towards it. But also critical, especially if you're in your early 20s or really wherever you are in your life, don't let your ego and what you think think is supposed to make you happy, be the thing that sets your goal. So for instance, if your goal is to make a million dollars a month just to get rich so that you can have a Rolls Royce and a big house, I can tell you that those things will make you happy in the short term, but they're not fulfilling in the long term. When I first moved to San Diego, I got a dope apartment. I had the coolest I felt like a baller. It was two levels, had two different balconies, a spiral staircase. It was like the, it still today is the nicest place I've ever lived. And when I first moved there the first week I was in, I had just bought a BMW. I was, I felt so awesome. And I felt like, man, I really did that. Three or four days later, after moving into this apartment and I'm, I'm in the routine and, you know, I go to the same Starbucks every day and I, I really fall into the, the, you know, everyday life, it just kind of became what it was and it no longer made me happy. So yeah. just when you're setting your goals, make sure you're setting your goals on things that will actually fulfill you. You know, buying a Lamborghini is cool. Buying five of them is cool. And if that's your thing, get after it. But what's cooler is paying your parents' mortgage. What's cooler is, is yeah. being financially stable and being able to handle things when they come up right so so do you think that money buys happiness see i don't i mean i I'm, I'm a pretty good testament to that because i would have made career-wise way more money 
sticking with the legal career, especially on the track that I was on, where, where you know, I was a pretty good trial attorney. Like, I, I don't want to call myself the best, but I was the guy right when I got to the firm, my boss was taking me, an associate, to the trials and like basically leaving everybody behind. That was like basically day one. And, wow. it, and it never stopped. So I was on a track where I would have made that like real lawyer money. I wasn't making it at the time. I was, I was doing okay, but I wasn't happy. And I knew that, that there was a somewhat of a pot of gold at the end of the, of the alleged rainbow when it came to practicing law. So no, I don't think it buys happiness. I think doing what you actually want to do every day, and it's a tall order, but you can do it. I think that's what actually buys happiness, whether that's career oriented or not. Putting yourself in a place where you wake up and generally speaking, you kind of like where you're at. You like who you're waking up next to. You, you like where you're going later that day, whether it's to make money or not. It, 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 the, the money part is, is it's really an accessory. I, I, I truly am a testament to that because by the way, for the record, not only did I go from attorney to pharma and pharma, you can make really good money. So it yeah. wasn't as much of a downgrade, but it was a downgrade from a monetary standpoint. Now I'm going from pharma to media. Like, listen, I'm not Joe Rogan, Kevin. So last I checked, uh, the, the checks in the mail are not nearly as huge <laughs> as they were for, for pharma when I was making those big bonuses and certainly not as a practicing attorney. So I right. truly am the guy that can tell you that I'm way happier, way happier right now talking to you, doing what I do on a daily basis, rather than when I was making two or three times that much in pharma and in practicing law. Yeah. So, so money alone will not make you happy, but it will reduce the pain. And I can tell you, 22-year-old mm -hmm. me who's broke, can't pay his rent, phone is about to get turned off, electricity is not running because I didn't pay the bill, would tell both of us right now to go fuck themselves. Yeah. Money does buy happiness when you're, when you're behind on your rent. So money will actually buy you happiness to a certain point, but it doesn't buy you happiness. It just takes away the the stress hormones that are coursing through your veins when you're in survival mode. So if you're if my advice to anybody that's struggling financially and is paycheck to paycheck and just always on edge about finances, money won't make you happy, but it will make your life completely different when you don't have to worry about the bills. I had an old sales manager named Ryan Howard, huge mentor in my life. When I first started working for Beacon Payments, Ryan Howard looked at me and said, the day that you stop worrying about paying your rent, the day that you stop worrying about your bills is when your life will really begin. And I remember being like, whatever, dude. No, it makes everything so much more calm. And the reason why the rich get richer and the poor stay poor is because they keep doing what they're doing and they keep living in the same state. So if you can go, if you're poor, if you're financially struggling like I was, if you can get out of survival mode, your life will be tremendously better, but then you do the real work of making sure that you're living life on your terms day to day. And it sounds like Sia has really lived his life making sure that he's doing the things that he wants to do. And he understands that, okay, the bills are paid, but here is where my happiness lies, right? If I'm going to do something most of my days, it sure better be something that I really enjoy. Is that right? It is right. And I do want to sort of level set too, because you're right. Of course, I'm in a position now where I can sort of teeter between among these professions. But to your point, when it comes to money buying happiness, well, when it comes to the base level stuff and like paying the bills, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to buy you happiness or at least a lot less stress. And those two things, um, you know, are, are, are almost synonymous in this context. So 
I, I guess what I'm saying when it, when it, when I'm saying it doesn't buy you happiness is, is as soon as, and it sounds like your friend said that to you too, Kevin, uh, as soon as you maintain that sort of like base level where, you know, you can pay your bills and you're not super stressed about that next payment, that's when I think you can start to transition into the stuff you really want to do. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk about your podcast, Sia. Uh, Sia Najad Sports. Now, it's not really about sports anymore. You started it with with basically a sports focus, very similar to your broadcasting career. But your your podcast is very similar to mine. And, and that's why you are such a phenomenal guest is because we share the same mentality and, and our overall message is almost identical. And by the way, if you're listening to this, I want you to pause this and go follow Sia Najad on Instagram. Go follow him on Twitter. That's where his biggest presence is. But follow his podcast. It's not just about sports. I think the title kind of may confuse people, yeah. rightfully so. But Sia Najad's podcast is phenomenal. And I've I've jumped into a couple of the episodes recently. And and it is, it, it go follow it. So Sia, where can they find your podcast? So thank you for saying that. Yeah, it is a bit of a misnomer. If you go to YouTube and you type in Sia Najad Sports, and that's Najad spelled, you'd see it on this podcast, but N-E-J-A-D, N as in Nancy, E-J-A-D, uh, sports, you're going to find it. And uh, yeah, I've got, you know, Kevin, you're one of the interviews on there. I've got uh, probably 11 or 12. I have one later today with a gentleman named Femi Abebefe. He's on on VSIN and uh, some other podcasts that I follow. But uh, the long and short of it is, yeah, it, it is a podcast that's very similar to yours, Kevin. And I'm just, I have just started it. I think my first episode was probably two months ago. And I've, I've had some big name guys. Daniel Negreanu uh, was on the show. Uh, wow. Most people know him, Real Kid Poker. Uh, Prince of Mukamara from the New York Giants. He was on there. David Meltzer has been on there. Kevin, of course. Some people from the sports industry that you might recognize. Yeah, the sports part, Kevin, it's kind of a misnomer. And I think my thinking originally was because people knew me from sports. That would be sort of my entry into people kind of paying attention. But yeah, from a branding standpoint, you might see a name change, but definitely go to YouTube and follow Sia Najat Sports on Instagram. By the way, that's my tag as well. So it's easy to remember because I have the Sia Najat Sports tag on Instagram as well. Yeah. And, and I think that, and the reason why I'm committed to doing the podcast, and I'm sure you too, is, is the, the landscape of media is changing. You know, people are getting their news from smaller sources in Twitter, not, not, and they don't, and the, tr the, the lack of trust with the bigger news stations, rightfully so, I mean, is that the lack of trust is at an all time high. So I, I think that in terms of starting the podcast, um, you and I both share that we are doing this forever. Like there's no, or, or at least it, I am doing this indefinitely. I have no, mm, on, on whether it grows or not. I'm, I'm, I'm all gas, no brakes on this. Do you think that media is going to continue to, to trend in that way? Or do you think, what, what do you think podcasting and everything, where do you think this is headed? Yeah, I think we might be at the tip of the iceberg. And it's just going to come down to who ultimately has the most influence uh, in terms of whether, you know, Kevin, you or me or anybody else is going to have like that pop, that podcast or that show that pops. But the proliferation of media, I mean, it's been going on for quite some time. And I think the big brands are, whether they be sports or just like your, your major networks, I, I think they're starting to realize they got to change their format. They got to change their revenue model. And I think they're doing it right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think this, you know, if, if somebody out there wanted to get into whether it's this type of podcast or any podcast, um, you're not too late to the party, in my opinion. 
And again, I think the the episode is, if, or the uh, the statistic is, if you can get around, I think fourteen episodes or twenty one episodes, you've passed ninety percent of other podcasters out there because most people give up, right? They don't see that instant uh, uh, feedback or payoff, and they don't they they think it's not going anywhere, so they stop. Um, how many episodes are you at right now? With Sinajad Sports, I'm probably, I'll have the 11th one today, I believe. Nice. Yeah, so you're almost there. We're at, uh, Carlos, what are we at? 50? Almost 50? I think we're, yeah, mid-40s. So my producer, Carlos, is sitting right here, but we're we're almost to 50. We're at in mid-40s. I think this may be 48 or 49. And, um, you know, that alone, just not giving up is, is what's going to get you to that next level. So what Sia says is if you think you're, late you're not most people you know one thing i see on youtube all the time from these youtubers are is it too late to start youtube or why it's not too late and it's it's almost never too late and just like any other business look auto detailing is not a new business but if you just go out and just do better than your competition just a little bit better you're gonna be fine so when you started your podcast what was your biggest goal what's your why behind having your podcast? Because for me, it was there. I feel like there's a lot. We, this goes back to something we touched on earlier. I feel like there's a lot of negativity out there. And there's a lot of ways that people can pull themselves down even further because they're not realizing that they're really what they're searching for, what they're looking at is, is inherently negative. But I do feel like the flip side, there's a lot of positivity out there. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I'm a, I'm a sports personality at CBS Sports, at Sportsline, and that's great. But frankly, I don't want to be locked into being a sports personality. I, I want to show people that I have more to offer while helping people at the same time. And Kevin, I can tell you, there's a lot of messages I get from, after every show, I'll get a message from somebody different saying something to the effect of, man, your, your podcast is really helping me. I even posted it on my Twitter, on my Twitter at Najad. Go check that out. It's like literally a pinned post where somebody wrote me a, a private message on Twitter saying, you know, I, I was kind of given up and I, I started watching some of your shows and now I've completely turned my life around. I can do this. I can do that now. And that has really big impact on me that I'm making a difference. But more importantly, I know that it's actually making a difference out there. And so I, I want to inspire people to basically raise their level because everybody has it in them, but they just need somebody to tell them, hey, you, you got this. And Kevin, whether it's you or me or somebody else, I want to be one of the people out there on the front line saying, hey, you, you got this. You just not need to change your mindset a little bit. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and I think that people, especially people that are in the content creation game, you do not realize how big of an impact you have because most people are not sharing. They're not telling you these these successes yeah. they're getting from your podcast. And and sometimes it's like you have to just believe in it and you have to know that that there is a lot of stuff happening in the background that you don't know about. And in anything that you do that's big, that's usually the case, right? Like you don't see that you're constantly, again, I use this reference all the time. I use this almost in every podcast, but if you plant a seed, you have to consistently water that seed and you have to consistently go and you just have to trust that it's going to eventually sprout. And when it sprouts a little bit, that's cool, right? So like getting those first initial comments, it's incredible. But if you keep putting that work in, if you keep watering that plant, it's going to continue to grow and, and it's going to thrive. And if you give up and you don't water that plant, it's going to die. 
So, and, uh, and Kevin, one thing to add to that is when you do that, you are going to whatever project or goal you want to tackle. And we touched on this a little bit, but I feel like it has to be reemphasized. Yeah. You're going to get some resistance, whether it's your friends or, or somebody else or, or just, just the, the act of, of failing at something small or whatever it is. You just have to push past that resistance. And to the extent that resistance involves people you know, you got to sort of just quietly brush them to the, to the side because you can do what you want to set out to do. But what you don't need is people telling you that you can't do it or that it's not practical or that you're too old for that or that that's not your style. Like you, you can't have those people in your life. Yeah. And look, I mean, if you want to put on muscle, what do you have to do? You have to break down your muscles, right? You have to feed them with protein. You have to get good sleep and hydrate. All of these things that you're doing in your life, as long as you're doing positive things consistently, you're going to get a positive return. If you're doing negative things, you're going to get a negative return. Um, Sia, you have been an, a phenomenal guest. Can you, by wrapping this up, can you give our audience one last positive message? That's such an interesting question. I, I actually wasn't expecting you to wrap like that, but I'm so glad you did because you mentioned something earlier about the most mundane thing you can do to start your day off right, and that's making your bed. And I, and I agree, by the way. I make my bed every day. It might not be the best made bed of all time, but you know, it looks decent. But you asked me to, to say something to sort of end this on a positive note. One thing I was going to add when you said that about making your bed, is that just being positive throughout the day, that, that really resonates with people. And it gives you a certain aura that you may not appreciate. And long-term, people will notice it about you. And it's very easy for me to be like, oh, just stay positive. Here's what I actually mean. Holding doors open for people, looking people in the eyes and saying thank you, uh, saying you're welcome, or whatever the case may be, and saying hello to a stranger on the street and looking right in their eye and saying hello or how was your day, as long as it's just not like overboard the way you're doing it, something sincere. Those things will not only help you in the long run because people will start to notice your positivity and they'll, they'll, they'll gravitate to it, but they're going to help you too. Remember that dopamine you talked about with the video game? That dopamine from leveling up and whatever, Grand Theft Auto or scoring up the, the winning touchdown in Madden or whatever, it's the same receptors that are going to identify with, oh, uh, I'm great, a smile from a hello. Oh, I'm great. Oh, you're welcome. Like those, the, that type of feedback, it's the same thing. You just don't realize it. So go out there every day, make your bed, but just be positive and be a nice person. I promise you that's going to help you and a lot of other people around you in the long run. Amazing. Karma is real. Sia, thank you so much for being on Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Again, everybody, please, 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 I cannot recommend this enough. Go follow Sia Najad Sports. Go follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. And I'm going to have Carlos leave in the description um, all of his socials. And um, thank you so much for coming on. You've been a phenomenal guest. And we're going to have to do round two. Love it. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on. And I love the message that you're spreading. I've listened to a lot of your shows so far, but not every single one of them yet. And I promise you, I'll be, I'll be listening to everyone because I think it helps everybody, including myself. Thank you so much, Sia. Talk to you soon. See you. Bye. Bye. Bye.